0: Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Good morning, East Haven. It is great to see you this morning. We were just singing Welcoming the Holy Spirit, and I'm reminded that about 20 years ago, Nearly 15 years ago, my 35-year-old son and three of his friends were in England. Uh, They had led worship for a group of IMB missionaries in uh, Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. I had to think about the the stand or the, the former Soviet Union country, Azerbaijan. And flying back, they went to London and through some connections, they had an interview on Premier Radio, which is the one major Christian radio station in England. So my son and this other 19-year-old are being interviewed. In that particular show, the week before, the guest was the Archbishop of Canterbury. And this week, it was my 19-year-old son from Madison, Mississippi, So we're listening on our old computer upstairs in our house at the middle of the night because it's six hours later. So we're listening to Josh being interviewed on Christian radio. And he's doing real well. He's describing the vibrancy of the church in America, the structure of the church, about worship. And the interviewer says, how do you celebrate Pentecost at your church? And Josh had nothing. I mean, like nothing. Nothing and i had one of those moments of conviction that i realized you know we really uh, good friday easter of course the incarnation the birth of christ at christmas but we really don't celebrate the arrival and the sense of being sent by jesus of the holy spirit at pentecost and we would say perhaps as baptists well, we're not pentecostal uh, yes we are we believe in the holy spirit uh, we welcome him in this place, and it's, uh, it's ours to worship him as he embodies and empowers us. Uh, also, as I listened to 10,000 Reasons earlier, I thought that I've told some of my family and others, if my time is near, let's sing that. Let's honor the Lord with all that we have. I'm delighted to be here today. We're going to do a little housekeeping, and uh, housekeeping in a good way. You think housekeeping, it sounds like mundane task. But really for this house, if you will, this part of the body of Christ, we're going to do a little housekeeping today. I want to introduce myself afresh because I'm aware that any given day could be somebody's first day here. It could also be that somebody's been gone for family or responsibilities or travel and uh, need to kind of be up to speed. So I want to introduce myself, tell you just a little bit about me and talk about uh, as the Lord gives us the days ahead Now, just to be clear, my name is Gary Mays, and I've been with you at East Haven on multiple occasions over the years. Got to be great friends with Dustin and Rebecca. I'm here today with my beautiful wife, Kathy, and we have two children. Uh, My son, Josh, is the worship pastor at Pine Lake in Madison at the Madison campus. Uh, He served a church, High Point Church in Memphis, for 12 years And he's been here a little over a year in Madison. They have a one-year-old, about 15-month-old little boy uh, named James. His wife is Stacy. Uh, Stacy, for many years, was the church relations person for Life Choices of Memphis. And uh, now they're living in Stacy's parents' house with her parents as they plan on buying in the Madison area. They have moved in. That works out great. Stacy is an only child Uh, they Struggled, really, with infertility for about a decade. So uh, that grandmother is pretty ecstatic to help with that little boy every day. So it works out great for them. We have a daughter named Carly who works for the Jackson Leadership Foundation. She's the communications and development officer, fundraiser, grant writer, and the rest. Uh, Worked for many years at Sunnybrook Children's Home. Her husband is Daniel. Daniel is the executive pastor at Fondren Church. And in irony of ironies, Fondren Church is a church in the Fondren area of Jackson that just a few years ago purchased the Woodland Hills Baptist Church building and have renovated, and it's a thriving church. In the irony of God's sense of humor, in the 80s, I was the youth and singles minister at Woodland Hills. So it all comes around 30 years later. Uh, Daniel is the executive pastor of ministry. He spends his days there. They have a daughter named Stella, and Stella is a piece of work. She's three years old. Uh, anybody? Does this strike a familiar chord? What you talking about, Willis? Does that sound familiar to anybody in here? That describes the personality of this strong-willed little girl. They walked into a cabin at Lake Forest Ranch to spend the night. Uh, they were there for an event. And it was just the three of them, they walked into this big wooden cabin in the woods, and Stella was two years old, and she put her hands on her hips, and she said, what are we trying to do here? (laughs) She's a piece of work. So that's my family. We're all kind of in the family calling. Sometimes I say the family business. I try to avoid that, but we're all in ministry in one description or another. Uh, My history, very quickly... uh, because I want you to know, because today is a first day as an interim pastor, I want you to know a little bit about me. You know, we live in Mississippi. Are you aware of this? We're all one degree of separation from somebody. And uh, oh, I was here to speak at the See You at the Poll rally a couple of years ago, and this crazy bearded man came down to see me, and he spoke, and I nearly passed out. It was Jim Johnston, who in 1979 was the sound man for the singing group I took on the road. Who knew Jim Johnston was going to reappear in Brookhaven? We're all one degree of separation. Uh, my history very quickly grew up in Columbus, Air Force family. Uh, settled in Columbus, my older sister got married, went to Mississippi College, degree in, a, in religious education, had the singing group, served a couple of churches, went on the road for about three years, served for many years as a minister of students, singles, Uh, Young adults, recreation, lower intestinal diseases. I did it all uh, for a number of years. Then planted a church in 1991, served as a senior pastor for 17 years. Went to Broadmoor Baptist in Madison in 2007 as the associate pastor. About halfway through my 10-year tenure, I had a title change. I became the executive pastor of ministry coaching. I don't know either, so if you're wondering, I don't know. I had a lot of responsibility, but it didn't make sense with the title really. Uh, I had responsibilities for worship and pastoral care, and all the communication shop was mine, and then I was a part of the missions team. I was a liaison to our 14 church plants that we partnered with across America. Uh, When I left there four years ago, I hung a shingle out. Uh, I was 61 and said, coaching, consulting, and speaking. And I've done that since then. I did an 11-month interim at First Baptist Church of Lake, Mississippi. Small community outside of uh, Newton, Mississippi. Incredible people. And just, this is bad news for you, but I prayed against their pastor search committee for months. Like, God, don't let them find a pastor. I really love these people. And I sense that's going to be true about you as well. Uh, About a year ago, I did an interim pastorate for uh, about 10 months at, Pine Lake Church in Clinton for their Clinton campus. I was the first non-Pine Lake guy to do an interim there. Had a great time. It's an incredible place. As a matter of fact, Kathy and I may be the newest members of Pine Lake. Uh, we joined last week. Our son is the worship pastor. We're connected to so many people in Madison. Our membership has been at Colonial Heights, which is in a fantastic church. But uh, we have the privilege of serving when we're there watching our grandson grow up and participating in worship with our son. So that's a lot about me. Uh, now, if everybody would stand up one at a time and tell us all about you, that would be, well, that would be, we'd be here until Thursday, but it would be awesome, I am sure. I want you to know a little bit about me because you're going to connect to me on some level. My day job, such as it is, which is part-time but demanding some weeks, I'm a vice president at French Camp Academy, Christian boarding school, uh, north part of the state, just north of Kosciuszko, and the cliche, folks, is, and uh, people of age, all of you know this is true, the cliche is, young lady, you better straighten up or you're going to French camp because it was kind of seen as that place where kids went if they needed extra boundaries and structure, and that is true. But there's more to French Camp than that. It's a school for 200 kids in the area. Many of the students who arrive at French Camp, they're not there as some sort of discipline or structure or placement, but they're there because it's an incredible Christian education by people that God has honored in that place for 140 years. My job, I'm not as engaged with the students as I might like to be, but I've got five or six of the ministries and businesses there. So I'm responsible for a restaurant, a new restaurant, came online about four years ago, bed and breakfast, uh, a thrift store, a gift store, the camp, and the radio station are mine, and I go two days a week. Uh, you would think I was very, very busy, but we have great people uh, that I manage, lead, and encourage. So that's, uh, that is a lot about me. I start this interim pastorate today, and I can't tell you how honored I am to be here. Uh, I have loved being with you every time I've been here, love Dustin and Rebecca. I recognize this is an interim pastorate, and uh, the pastor before is always uh, is always an interesting conversation with people because no matter who has been and who leaves. Many times institutionally, and I'm going to give you a little more than maybe you've asked for today, but institutionally, sometimes we pendulum swing if we're not careful. If we don't really listen to the Lord, we just, in our human instinct, uh, look for something different, or we look for somebody just like them. Uh, One of my pastor friends used a great line one day. He was talking about Dr. Frank Pollard who for many, many years was the pastor of First Baptist Jackson. And Dr. Pollard may be the best 22-minute sermon communicator ever. Immaculate, unbelievable, godly, incredible, but didn't want to lead the staff and didn't. Didn't really want to engage a lot with people and didn't. Uh, he lived right in the lane of his calling. It was a big church. It was resourced and staffed to allow him to do that and And some people wanted to find another Dr. Pollard, and some people wanted to find whoever was going to be just the opposite. And my pastor friend, noticing that, said, you want to be the guy that follows the guy that follows Dr. Pollard. You don't want to be the guy to follow Dr. Pollard. And no matter who had been the pastor at East Haven, Dustin, Uh, you kind of want to be the guy that follows the guy because every transition is, in fact, a transition. It's a change by definition. Today, because it's Labor Day weekend, I really wrestled at the beginning of the week with thinking that perhaps we would take a look at the way that God speaks about work because work is really significant in God's Word, not just in the fall, but we are created uh, to do, to do God's works, good works, that he has prepared in advance for us to do. We're about some task as a people. And I thought Labor Day, which has some interesting roots and interesting celebrations, might be a a pause in the national rhythm, the consciousness of the nation, that maybe we would want to investigate that. But I really sensed that instead of that, specifically today, that we would talk about what it means to be a pastor in our world. And the reason is not because... We're pastors all in the room, but it's because we're a congregation, a body, the bride of Christ that gathers together. We're a church family, and sometimes one of these breaks in the action, if you will, when a pastor leaves is a good time to rethink about what it is that we expect of a pastor or a leader. So this morning, uh, elevating God's word, and by the way, over coming weeks, you'll find me to be kind of topical for several weeks, I believe, if the Lord is leading and I'm hearing correctly. But uh, there are times, I remember several years ago as a senior pastor, that I spent nearly two years in the book of Romans on Sunday morning. So I'm, I'm that guy, exegetical, expositional, but sometimes topical. And I see that Jesus did the same thing. Many times he referenced uh, Uh, the scrolls the scriptures and spoke to those other times jesus was speaking and also the apostles were speaking out of the inspiration of the holy spirit in the moment if you have a bible with you or you can reach one if you join me in first timothy the third chapter first timothy chapter three now i know that the majority of you in the room probably have handled your bible or you've been in church a long time you just came into the service from sunday school but there may be people in the room who don't handle their Bible often, and I want to help you. The Bible is really broken into two books, the Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament is about 60, 65% of your Bible, and uh, it's the first 65% or so. The New Testament, the New Covenant, the second 35%, and about three-quarters of the way through the New Testament, you'll find First and Second Timothy And we're in 1 Timothy this morning, the third chapter. It's never a shame to use your uh, index there, your table of contents, to find something that you need. Uh, We're in 1 Timothy, the third chapter. Let's talk about it for just a moment as we read the scripture. You know that the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, this epistle, to his young protege or mentee or uh, his person he was investing in who he saw as a pastor, a church leader, an elder to be. And because he saw him as a leader of the future, he gave them this God-inspired wisdom about how the church should operate and how he should conduct himself and what the world was like and the value of Scripture in the work of the Holy Spirit. So when we find ourselves in 1 Timothy 3, he's talking specifically about church leadership and polity. Now, I want to say this very clearly, and I'm just going to put a big parentheses around this because I I need you to hear it. And for some of you, I need you to hear it maybe more than once. I don't have a church polity governance agenda for you. I'm not here to suggest elders, or some sort of other council. I'm not trying to rewrite job descriptions for deacons or committees or anybody else. I don't have any agenda there whatsoever. Today specifically, I want to bring the Word of God to light by the work of the Spirit, if I'm hearing from the Spirit correctly, in such a way that we revisit for most of us or maybe think afresh about what the pastor's roles are. Uh, I think that's uh, that's really important, and generally, broad brush in our culture, in the churches that I visit with, the churches I've served, people tend to think about the pastor in three different roles, the pastor shepherd, the pastor side of the pastor, and remember pastor is pastoral, it's a shepherding word in and of itself, the shepherd, or the Preacher or the leader. He's a shepherd, a preacher, a leader. And then we're going to talk about some other roles in just a moment. Actually, the Word of God, as it talks about shepherds or overseers or elders, we find that it's the same word in several passages, not just in 1 Timothy, but in Titus and in 1 Peter. And it's instructive because. We have built a certain tradition and a set of expectations for what a pastor is, who he is, and what he does, and perhaps in this interim season, we can think in a fresh way and say, God, help me understand, Lord, what it is that a pastor does, how does he reflect your call, and how does he most efficiently and effectively lead the church? 1 Timothy 3. If you've got a Bible, read along with me silently. I'll be clear. Read along with me. Silently. I'll read. Here we go. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now, Paul is giving these admonitions, these qualifications for what an overseer is or an elder, and we'll talk about those words in just a moment. And then he continues, and there's a second category, there's a second sense of service or responsibility. Deacons, likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, to let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife, and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ. Interestingly, in our history, uh, we have sort of meshed some roles together in most Baptist churches. And I'm just gonna be real, real today I, I'm just going to talk about how it is, and, and I don't have any agenda here again at all. Uh, I've talked about this for years, and it's important to think freshly. There is, in fact, a number of words used for the same word in Greek that is translated shepherd or overseer or Elder. In the King James, you'll find the word bishop used once, which was something of a rationale for the Catholic Church for a period of time to have somebody who was over elders. But it's really a misreading of that word. It's one word. And a shepherd, pastor, same word, elder or overseer have some responsibilities, some some threshold, some bar to be reached in how they act and how they display their not new faith in Christ in order to be an overseer. And it is contrasted, sort of, or likewise, with what it means to be a deacon. Now, we think about the pastor again in one of three categories. And I've I've talked about this a lot with churches and with pastors. You know, we have the shepherd or the preacher or the leader. And I've told people... Because it's observable, it's wonderful when you find somebody who has a marked skill set in one of these, a a sense of gifting and a passion about one of these areas, and sometimes you find people who have two of those, but it's very rare that you find somebody who is passionately, effectively equipped in all three of those expectations. That's why maybe you've heard like I've heard, we'll talk about somebody and we'll say, Well, he was a great preacher, but he wasn't much of a pastor. He didn't meet with my Aunt Mabel when she had that toenail removed. If he were a good pastor, he'd have been there. You think that's a little facetious, but I've heard just exactly that kind of thing but he can speak he is a preacher man he he steps on my toes and he's a fireball and he's preaching the word of God but he's just not really great with people or you'll hear that guy loves his people he is such a shepherd he's got such a pastor's heart but he couldn't preach if he were on fire I've heard that kind of thing said often too and then I hear more often than not when it presents itself as a strong gifting, that guy is some kind of leader. He's got a vision for the church. He's got administrative gifts. He can put people into service, and he really loves them, but he's not a speaker. Or he he's a great speaker, and he's really got a vision for the church, but he's not really connecting to our people. We kind of have this interesting way of judging, and I, I'm Careful to use that word, but considering the qualifications or the characteristics or the attributes of a preacher. And I'm going to ask you to do your best not to do that to anybody in the past. Uh, East Haven has had a, uh, a number of just wonderful men that God has called into this place. But I'm going to ask you also to consider the fact that perhaps we have created some roles that are virtually impossible for any one person to fill. So there's always a bit of a liability to whoever God brings to this place if we use sort of the man-made categories of we need, we need an outstanding preacher, pastor, leader who is incredible in all three places. Now, there are some of those, and they're still less than perfect, but there aren't very many. And uh, I, don't, I think unicorns are mythical. But that would almost be a unicorn. They don't really exist. It's, it's a gift mix that just is, is almost counterintuitive. Folks, my, my life experience and the assessments that I've seen are that people who are incredibly strong leaders are not always empathetic and present in the life of people all the time. And they're not focused on the kind of study that presents itself to become the preacher that we want sometimes a preacher to be. So in this interim period, I just want to start by saying, let's have realistic, prayerful God. What are you saying about the qualifications of an overseer or a pastor or an elder? Because the same word is used, it's interchangeable. What are we looking for? I I don't really see incredible dynamic speaker in here. I see teacher in teaching the word. I, I see pastor because there's an overseer shepherding component here and by definition those who do those things who speak the truth of God prophetically and that's about bringing us back to the truth and who shepherd and love they're going to be God-blessed God-empowered adequate leaders what does the scripture say let's take a look at this for just a moment here's a trustworthy saying if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer by the way I, I know when I use the word elder. There are some people in the room who are going to say, that sounds Presbyterian to me. And we don't have elders in our Baptist church, and that's okay. Same word, that's okay. I'm a fan of the delineation between the two, but it's not required. God has used all kinds of structures in all kinds of places and contexts to advance his kingdom. So when we talk about overseer or elder today, we're really talking in our context about a pastor. He must be above reproach. In other words, he's got a reputation that wouldn't in any way uh, harm the church, but it would be a credit to the church. He must be the husband of but one wife. Oh my goodness. This passage has created division and I don't know how many... Conversations and conflict; it becomes complicated because if you take this this line alone, a widow couldn't remarry. A a widow preacher couldn't remarry because that'd be more than one wife. And there, there are all kinds of ways of looking at this. There are four different views. Real quickly, number one, elders must be married. That would be the first view. You've got to be the husband of one wife. Number two. The overseer can't be a polygamist. Now that seems odd to us, but in, uh, in some cultures today, but in the world that this scripture was written in, that was a context to be considered. Only one wife his whole life. Only one wife. And that's the, if he were to be a widower, he couldn't remarry because only one wife. And the fourth real broad understanding of this is that he's faithful to his wife he is a some said a man of one woman and being a man of one woman one wife it effectively prohibits any kind of promiscuity sexual immorality affairs adultery which God clearly hates and by definition it removes the possibility of homosexuality I mean it's a prohibitive kind of view Whatever it is, we know that there is a faithfulness and a covenant relationship that's implied here. Uh, This week, I had the opportunity to do a wedding with a sweet young couple, 22 years old. Uh, They've been dating since the 10th grade. God bless them. Uh, They have taken a real vow of, of being circumspect together for those seven years. They got married this week. And over and over and over, I referenced that it was a covenant. And that covenant marriage was not just a contract between two parties, but really it's a grant of one life to the other. And this implies that there is a certain faithfulness to the covenant relationship of a man who would be a pastor. And then the details, of life circumstance, uh, lots of different views... But at the very least, it's about faithfulness. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled. Temperate and self-controlled. A person who moderates temper. A person who is self-disciplined and manages themselves well. Uh, Respectable. They're able to be respected and honored because of who they are and their character. Hospitable. Hospitable. It's interesting that to me that this is in this line of qualifications. Hospitable, really, at the end of the day, means I'm willing to open my home and do kingdom welcoming and kingdom work in the context of my home and my family. They greet others. They see their neighbor as people to be loved and the gospel presented to. They are hospitable, able to teach, able to teach, well, Yes, able to teach. They should be presenting uh, sound doctrine, God's Word says, the Word of God. And they also ought to be, in their sense of teaching, able to rebuke or correct and know what is not sound doctrine. Not given to drunkenness. Uh, By the time I was about eight years old, I could make a dry martini because that was... Kind of the way my family rolled. Never saw my family out of control, but my dad was a pretty hard charging Air Force uh, Colonel, and that was kind of part of the mix of our home. And I made a decision early on, along with my younger sister, I wasn't going to drink alcohol at all for any reason. And I've been in some pretty interesting places around the world, and I, I just don't drink. I, I don't think it's a, it's a, I don't think it's a wise decision. Uh, there's all kinds of research you take yourself and take out of control at some places. It's a bit of statistic Russian roulette if you imbibe alcohol, imbibe such an old word. Uh, you, it's Russian roulette in the sense of addiction. But the scripture here talks about drunkenness. It is a different time, it is a different application of wine. Jesus was not opposed to wine in the context. Uh, What I have found is as I've matured in my faith, I've got to be absolute about the absolutes of Scripture and I've got to show grace about the things that are not absolutes. And yet there are wisdom passages not only through Proverbs but uh, threaded throughout God's Word. Certainly for the pastor, overseer, elder. Drunkenness is out of place it's out of character that is clear not violent but gentle and that's, that's interesting but it reminds me of the fruit of the spirit did you know that gentleness appears uh, throughout the New Testament as an expression a symptom of a characteristic of the very presence of the Holy Spirit now as a guy we like Type A, alpha males, high D driven. We like winners. We like combat. We like a battle. We like a challenge. And I am not diminishing those things about us as men. Some would say we have demasculized men in our culture already. But the reality of the fruit of the Spirit is it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, meekness, gentleness, and self-control. It's the work of the Spirit, offsetting, moderating, tempering, bringing the presence of God to those things. And one of the qualifications is gentleness, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Lover of money, get that, greed, You don't want that in a pastor, in an overseer, in an elder, in somebody who shepherds the body. Quarrelsome is pretty interesting. Uh, My son tells a story from another church. And there was a person on staff who had a pastoral role. And one of the most simple, godly, quiet, wisest, oldest men in the church... Uh, was asked a question about his perspective about this complex pastoral character. And the gentleman's answer was telling. He said, I don't know a lot about all of his life. I don't know about his call. I don't know about his work day to day. But I know a quarrelsome man when I see one. Not looking for a quarrel, not looking for a fight, Not always having to be right, not putting people down a position of service and humility in this list. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? I want to camp there for just a moment as we're looking forward to who God might bring. And I want to give grace to the parents in the room and encouragement. Here's the reality: You can love Jesus, speak Jesus in your home, pray together, have a family devotion. You can pray over your kids. Uh, you can have Bible studies. You can op- be here every time the doors of the church are open. And all of us have the opportunity to make a volitional choice to shake our fist in the face of God and do our own thing. That's the biblical record because we're broken and fallen. So. I want to say to you, we want to be very, very gracious about a particular season with a man and his children, because in any given season, any of our children and most of us have made really bad decisions. I mean, I walk through East Haven. Some of you, you just have mischief in your eyes. You know what I mean? I mean, you're in church, you've got your Bible, you were very kind to me this morning, but at some point as a junior in high school, you were an idiot. I mean, I'm, is, can I not get an amen here? How many of you girls are married to a guy that at some point in their life was just an idiot? Can I see a hand? I mean, I'm just, I'm not trying to create trouble. I'm just trying to bring a little grace here to say at any point, your children can be Crazy. And you can pray over them and love them. And I say often to parents, you can't give away what you don't have. And we teach our kids who and what to love by who and what we love. But at any point, they may be trying out some other things. And you want to be gracious. The church that beats up a pastor because he's got a rebellious 13-year-old or 16-year-old is really short-sighted. Having said that, that is different than an unwise father in a house who doesn't help teach their children the things that they love and the people they love and the God they love that isn't the real thing that isn't aligned in such a way that that pastor watch this is not the same at home as he is in the pulpit now being in the pulpit and speaking and I'm guys I'm conversational we're just we're in the room together we're we're chatting this morning But there are pastors who can bring the pastoral edge. They can preach like a machine, but you don't want to live in their house. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We want to be always a gracious people about the way people manage their home. Because homes are complicated. People are broken and complicated as well. He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. There's actually no timeline here, but a recent convert can become conceited. What does that mean? It means a recent convert can suddenly become self-righteous. I mean, I knew to come to Jesus. I love him a lot. I've cut out some things out of my life, and I carry my Bible everywhere. A recent convert, sometimes it's not about rightly guided zeal. Sometimes it's about self-righteousness. We want somebody who's walked with Jesus for a time. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. It's really critical that we pray that the man that God brings here would be such that he would be of credit to the body of Christ and to East Haven. Good reputation with outsiders. The passage, as I read earlier, continues to, to bring deacon qualifications and instructions. And while we won't read those, it's a likewise passage. Those values really apply to everybody. We should be people of the spirit who are gentle, we're not quarrelsome, we take care of our family, we're beyond reproach, we we have a wife that we're faithful to and that we love. These kind of standards are not foreign to us, they're standards that the deacons in this body look to in order to become and serve as a deacon, and it's certainly true of our pastors. At one point I thought I might do a short history of pastoring, I don't have time for that, so I'm going to do like a one-and-a-half-minute history of pastoring. The Scripture identifies the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, and as Jesus ascends and final uh, instructions, we call it the Great Commission, the coming of the Holy Spirit and power at Pentecost and the explosion of the church. Think Acts 2, in particular Acts 4, and the passage that tells us about the acts of the apostles, the growth and work of the Lord in the early church. We see churches struggling to figure out who they are and how to take care of each other. And we see that explained in Acts all over the place. The church over the years uh, tried to morph the priestly functions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and before that the Levitical tribe. Those kind of morphed sometimes, particularly with the Judaizers and others and the body of Christ at some point In councils and studies and with the Word of God, uh, pastors and priests sometimes performed priestly duties, but also performed in faithfulness the Word of God, shepherding and overseeing duties. And I'm talking about 800 to 1,000 years here. At some point, the church became very uh, hierarchical. It became very top-down. Priests sometimes would present themselves, posit themselves, think Holy Roman Catholic Church, think Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, Russian Orthodox, uh, a number of Orthodox churches that came out of those time periods, and it would be top-down, and it would be priests who would posit themselves as standing between the church and And God. And there were some practical reasons that control and power took place. If you remember, many times it was the clergy who could read. So the clergy would choose and interpret the word of God to their advantage. And uh, it's kind of broad brush, but there became a time when priests would charge money to absolve you of your sins. Uh, Those kind of abuses, not that God didn't always have a remnant of people who stayed with a heart toward the faithfulness to God's word. But there were lots of abuses in the body of Christ. And then the Reformation occurs. And the Reformation says it's faith in Christ and Christ alone. And it was a high valuing of God's word. And more and more people began to handle the word. And there's a great history here. And pastors tended to oversee, shepherd, preach, teach, take care of their people. In a very practical, recent history sort of way, and this is where if you've tuned out, I want you to tune in. In a very practical way, in Mississippi, there are about, uh, my number may be a little dated, but about 2,300 Southern Baptist churches. The majority of those churches run less than 100. Many of those churches, lots of them but not the majority, run about 200 and only a, a double-digit small percentage run like an East Haven or a First Baptist Brookhaven or County Town or in some counties the, the biggest two, three, or four Baptist churches. There is a reason for that, and one of the reasons is if your, if your expectations on the preacher or that the preacher does the work of the ministry for you, a couple of things happen. You limit, there's a bar way down here that says, we're only going to do what the preacher can do. We hired him. He's going to do uh, our evangelism for us. He's going to help people come to Jesus. We're not doing that. He's going to do our pastoral care for us. He's going to be the one that has to go to the hospital and check in. Let's check on the preacher and see if he's gotten the word so he can be there. And there's nothing wrong with that but follow me here for just a moment. Uh, We're the body of Christ, but we're basically paying this one man. And sociologically, just in the number of relationships, one pastor really can only pastor 100 to 200 people at the most. At the most. And that's where the vast majority of Christian churches end up, are 100 to 200 at the most. And there are a couple of reasons for that. We have entered into a model in most of our churches, and I was the chief of staff at Broadmoor, the COO legally for 10 years, and we had a lot of pastors. We had a lot of members. And there was a direct correlation there. We had people assigned to age groups. We had people who had specialties, who understood developmentally about preschool and about children. We had people who did senior adult work. We had a baby boom pastor. Why? Because we had... Maybe five, six, seven hundred people in my age group who were baby boomers. And they were coming of age, looking toward retirement, looking for ways to serve. We had a pastor who specialized in trying to equip, engage, and deploy those people into ministry. So the model has been find more paid pastors and the church will grow. Or as a response to church growth, we need other pastors who have specialties or who can take on responsibilities for another 100 to 200 people there's a lot of wisdom in that but if we're not careful we'll find that to be a kind of a fool's errand because the pastors were never in scripture given to do all the work of the ministry the pastors in scripture equip the saints for the work of the ministry They equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And you know this, but it's just a reminder that you're not looking for a pastor who's going to do everything. He doesn't have to be a world-class shepherd, world-class preacher, and world-class leader. He's got to be somebody for sure who meets these qualifications, but can equip and encourage and envision and perhaps build a team and engage people in a way to mobilize them into ministry. And anything less is really short-sighted. It 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 peters out at scale. It just won't work. So it's also unrealistic to believe that any one person can do that. Which and this is broad brush, and and it's just forty-five years of watching it. Uh, and this is going to sound a little dismissive. Please indulge me and forgive it if it sounds that way. But there are churches that run seventy-five in every county in Mississippi who dismiss their pastor about every 20 months. Well, Brother Bill, he's just not like Brother Ted, and Brother Ted's not like Brother John, and they didn't know this family who'd been there forever, and you hear a lot of that talk, and there are bitter, tired, frustrated men who desperately want to equip and encourage the body of Christ, and they get passed around because people want them to do their ministry for them, and that's never, ever been effective. It's not God's heart. It's about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. If you will continue to indulge me for just another couple of moments, won't always be this long, but a uh, a consultant pastor person put together ten roles of a pastor. I'm not going to break these down, but I want you to hear what he said and make a couple of comments, and then I want to pray over us, speak to the reason we're here, and we'll move. Number one. Ten roles of a pastor. Speaker, yes. Captain, kind of the head of the team. Coach, mentoring people, moving people along, helping people understand how to walk in Jesus. Four, executive. There's a sense of executive at your top of an organization. Director. A director can mean a number of things. It can be a board of directors or there can be a director-level person in an organization. But many times pastors are seen as both. Uh, counselor, and when we talk about the shepherd, that, there's a counselor component to that that's really important. Pastors who can counsel and bring God's word and wisdom to bear in situations are so important. Student, they should be lifelong learners. Pioneer, they should be faith-based, risking. God, we're moving forward people by the inspiration and leadership of the Holy Spirit. Conductor. We think orchestra conductor, but they help everybody play their parts in their right place. And reporter, reporter, they also speak back to the body of Christ, what the body of Christ is doing. They connect not only conducting, but they report back how we're doing what we're doing. Those 10 roles, those are a lot being a pastor and being effective and efficient is actually really difficult it looks easy i love my mother-in-law who passed away a year ago loved Yvonne. but Yvonne, when we first uh, got to know each other about 45 years ago i think she said to me a couple of times what do preachers do they only work on sunday and wednesday god bless her uh Kathy and I have been married 40 years. She passed away a year ago. It took me about 38 of those years to get my, wife, my wife's mother to figure out what we did. And now my brother-in-law is in our life a lot and he can't figure it out either. He has no idea. You know, you're gone all the time but you only work two days a week. Hello. It's, it's a skosh more than that. Here's my prayer for you, East Haven. My prayer for you is that God brings some incredible man in a family who will lock in with you for the season God predetermines to give incredible leadership and I'm praying this man has a shepherd's heart aren't you somebody who's warm and relational and will be there for you and when he cannot physically be there for you will pray for you and care for you you know he can't be everywhere have you have you lived long enough to figure this out yet he can't be everywhere but he's got a shepherd's heart and then I pray whoever God brings here is able to adequately, accurately, and passionately communicate the truth of God's word. That's so important. And then to lead. Leadership is important, not just in our culture, but it's always been important. It is always important. And by the this knowledge of shepherding and, and overseeing and pastoring and then preaching and speaking the truth of God's word, leading through that in a way that is practical and tangible for the body of Christ. That's really important. Those are my prayers for you. And I pray this season, honestly, I I like you so much. I'd be happy if you didn't find a pastor for about 10 years. But I, I think just in God's timing, if things happen the way they've happened in the past, some months from now, maybe a year from now, you'll be welcoming some incredible man that God's picked for you. And his family. Bottom line this morning. Just so you know. I love the passage of scripture. In Romans 1 says. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Folks I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel, gospel. The good news of Jesus changed my life. My relationship with Jesus changed my life. And I want you to know today. If you've been in and out of East Haven. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe you've been here for years and years and years. And you have never Come to the moment where you've said really in your heart, God, I'm going to surrender my life to you. I want to encourage you to do that. This has not been a message all about that. It's been a message about the family of God and about a person God would bring to shepherd. But the question that presents itself is, are you a part of the family of God? Have you surrendered your heart and life and mind to Jesus Christ? Because he loves you. He really loves you just because he loves you. If you've got questions about that or there's something happening in your heart that the Holy Spirit is doing to bring conviction, uh, an awareness of your sin and your need for God, we'd love to pray with you about that. Uh, Perhaps pray with you about how to surrender your life and heart to Jesus. We're going to pray in just a moment. We're going to extend an invitation. The invitation is an opportunity to make a concrete expression of your decision to follow Christ. Or perhaps to join this part of the body of Christ that is East Haven. So that you can be equipped and encouraged and build relationships and live in community. Be mobilized and serve and worship together. What a privilege. Maybe God's leading you to join East Haven. Maybe you have something going on in your life and you'd like to just sit with somebody and pour that out and pray together. If that's the case, that would be our honor as well. I'd like to pray for us. And I'm going to ask. We just uh, for just a moment bow our heads. I'm going to speak to the Lord about our time together. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. Father, the chance, the opportunity to to worship together, we don't take lightly. We we love you, and we're grateful to be with brothers and sisters in this place this morning. And Father, we're grateful to be able to call you our Father, a perfect Father who loves us because you love us. And God, I pray as this church looks forward to the coming days that the expectations for who you might bring, God, would be biblically realistic, gracefully expressed, and that we would be faithful to pray seeking your will for the man you will bring at your pleasure by your sovereignty in your timing in the future. Father, I pray if there is a young person or an adult in this room who have not trusted you that today they would consider and respond to the prompting of your Holy Spirit. God, it's been good to be with the body of Christ. I pray in this moment, that you would give us courageous obedience. We love you. We're so grateful for your grace and your presence in our life. Honor this time, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.